1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts.
0: Real love is
2: calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. Read on. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Underline that. That is a great verse. Because the first part looks so sad, but the last part is such a great reminder for us. Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Insert your situation there. And let it be a reminder for us to be praying people as a church.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Many times people go through difficult times and feel alone. Even if there are people all around, if no one is praying for them, they could still feel alone or isolated in their difficulties. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds you to be not just praying for, but earnestly praying for those going through struggles. As a body of believers, earnestly praying for someone, will let them know they aren't alone and let them know they can have hope that God is still with them, even in difficult times. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Verse 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So everybody's heading to Antioch. It's going to become a hub, a very central location, a major Christian center for the early church. And it says here that for a whole year, Middle of verse 26, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Underline that. And that's why Antioch is a very important town. Because the name that we go by, if you're a follower of Christ, you're known as a Christian. That just means one belonging to Christ, one of Christ. That name was first coined here in Antioch. And they were known as Christians from this time forward. Here we are today, known as Christians. Well, that name was first applied to believers in Jesus at the city of Antioch. Um, it's interesting to note, when you, when you look at the ways that Christians were identified before this, just in the book of Acts, look at what we have here. All these various ways. They were called disciples disciples. In Acts 1, then they were called saints in Acts 9. They had been called believers in Acts 5. They have been called brothers in Acts 6. They have been called witnesses in Acts 5. They had been called followers of the way in Acts 9. And now they would be called Christians here in Acts eleven twenty six, So here they are. Saul now has come out of obscurity 10 years, 10 years. I wonder if at any point Saul felt like, did God forget me? Will God still use me? You know, I had this great Damascus Road experience, and, you know, I was blind, and then I could see, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and, you know, now I'm zealous for the Lord, and I feel like I'm just on a shelf. You ever felt like you're on a shelf? You ever felt like and wondered, will God ever use me? You ever wondered if he's forgotten you? It had to have crossed his mind in the course of 10 years. But in God's timing, he went after Paul, sends Barnabas to go get him, and now we're going to see Paul, Saul, slash Paul. Now we're going to see his ministry really begins to take off because when we get to the next uh, chapter 13, it's his first missionary journey. And so he and Barnabas are going to become these uh, these partners in ministry for a while. They're going to have a little dispute. Even Christians argue from time to time in case you haven't noticed. They'll come back together, but they're going to have a little argument, go their separate ways for a little while. But verse 27 says, During this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So let me go back to the map because now we got some people from Jerusalem who were going up to Antioch. It says down, again, because Jerusalem is always called a, a holy place, so everything is down no matter if you're going north. So they went to Antioch too. Everybody's heading to Antioch. And one of them, verse 28, a guy by the name of Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So Agabus, uh, this guy who's otherwise unknown, uh, has a word of knowledge. And this is helpful for the early church because they can prepare themselves for a famine by stockpiling some food. Remember Y2K? Remember that? We thought the world was going to end in the year 2000. Everybody's stockpiling food. Everybody's got, you know, cans of stuff and extra water and, you know, dry milk that you can mix with it. All this kind of stuff. And, you know, and people would come up to me around that time and they'd be like, you know, is this the right thing to do? Should Christians, you know, you know, stockpile our stuff and, and, you know, we got our shotguns on the, you know, on the front. I said, here here's the thing. I said, here's the deal. You're going to have to. It's fine. If you want to do this, It's fine. But you're gonna have a huge decision to make. You go, What's that? You know, and they're standing there, they're shotguns. Not, not literally, but in their head they are. I said, People, if Y2K really does happen and people haven't stockpiled food and they know you have it, they're gonna to come to your front door. Are you gonna greet them and help them and feed them, or are you gonna shoot them? Ah oh, man. <laughs> So this guy has a word of knowledge and and they prepare for a severe famine. And then in parentheses it tells us, and this actually happened during the reign of Claudius, Caesar Claudius. So it was from the Lord, it was true. And the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So they were generous in, in giving and helping those who, who didn't have any. Again, remember, life as a Christian, first century, it was uh, it was a deadly thing and uh, and you lost a lot of your livelihood and your friends and and so they had to kind of pool their resources this is not encouraging you know christian socialism here it's just being generous and looking out for people in need chapter 12 It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Well, I don't want to gloss over too quickly what happened here with James, so let's back up and talk about this. So persecution is still very much uh, a real thing in the first century. The guy in power is Herod. This is Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who gave the order for all the baby boys in Bethlehem to be killed, trying to kill Jesus. That's this guy's grandfather, Herod the Great. This guy is Herod Agrippa I, and he's just as bloodthirsty as his grandfather was. And he doesn't like Christians. And so he is going to do all he can to kill him. And so he arrests James, the brother of John. Remember the sons of Zebedee, James and John? These were two of the disciples of Jesus. He arrests James, and it says here that he put him to death with the sword. He has him beheaded. Now, there's an occasion in Mark chapter 10, in fact, a couple of the Gospels record the occasion when both James and John went to Jesus and asked if they could possibly have the positions of honor next to Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. Do you remember when they asked him that? They're like, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit at your right and one of us at your left? And one of the Gospels even says that they got their mommy to do the bidding for them. Isn't that pathetic? These are grown men, all right? Grown men, like, Mom, why don't you go ask Jesus? Maybe he'll listen to you. You go ask Jesus if one of us can sit at his right and one at his left. And one of the Gospels says that Mommy went on behalf of her two boys and said, Jesus, you know, I hate to bother you, but, you know, my boys here, they're good boys. They're good Jewish boys. They could be doctors and lawyers. But you know what they really want to be is somebody who can sit at your right and sit at your left. Do you think that you could make that happen for me, please? And Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism with which I'm going to be baptized? And you know what James and John say? They don't even know what that means. But they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, dude, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I think of it. I know they just call Jesus dude. But, you know, that's, but that's the way I think of it. But so you know, they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, we can do that. And then they probably turn to each other like, what do you think he meant by the drinking the drink thing and the baptism thing? What do you think he meant by that? What he's talking about was drinking the cup of suffering and be baptized with, with the agony that he's going to be baptized with, that he's going to go you know, to the cross and he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's wanting to know, are you, are you willing to die for me? And he uses this terminology, you're going to drink the cup I'm going to drink, the cup of suffering, you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They're like, oh yeah, oh dude, yeah, we can do that. And, you, and, then, he, and then he said, answer your phone and then... But then Jesus said to them, he said, you know what, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with. And in fact, what he was predicting was, you will experience a life of suffering and martyrdom for my name's sake. And James will be the first of the apostles to die for his faith. John, his brother, would end up living a life of martyrdom. He's going to be the one who is sent off to the island of Patmos in his old age and he will write by inspiration of the Spirit, the book of Revelation. And he will himself suffer, but he will be the longest living and longest surviving of the apostles. But James here is going to be put to death with the sword. He's going to be beheaded because one Herod Agrippa I just didn't like him. Has him killed. And then apparently a lot of people like this. You know, the people in Jerusalem who don't like the whole Jesus thing and people who are following Jesus, you know, Herod we we like that you killed James and Herod gets a taste of that and says well great then I'm just going to go after some other people and he arrests Peter. And he has Peter thrown in prison. And he's guarded here by four squads of four. So he's got 16 soldiers around one guy. Now, why is he going to such an effort? I mean, this is just the apostle Peter. Well, he's going to that effort because if you remember back in chapter 5, there was a time when Peter got out of prison because an angel appeared. And so he's like, this isn't going to happen under my watch. I'm going to put 16 soldiers on them. And in fact, when they go down into the, uh, in, into the prison cell... It's going to tell us here that Peter has to sleep chained between two soldiers. Read on. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Underline that. That is a great verse because the first part looks so sad, but the last part is such a great reminder for us. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Insert your situation there. And let it be a reminder for us to be praying people as a church. I got bad news from a doctor, but the church was earnestly praying for me. My marriage is suffering, but the church was earnestly praying for me. My son, my daughter has walked away from the faith, but the church is earnestly praying. I love that part because no matter what you might be going through, may we be a praying church to lift each other up. It's the strength of the church. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. And that word earnestly in the Greek is ektenos. Ektenos comes from a word ektenes. Ektenes is a medical term describing the stretching of a muscle to its limits. Think of prayer like that. It is like exercising a muscle. It is stretching it to the limits. It is earnestly praying, seeking God, being stretched in our faith, coming to him, trusting him, begging him, longing, pouring out our heart to him, being stretched like a muscle, ectenes, earnestly praying to God for him. And I want you to keep that in mind, because when they get the answer to prayer, I want you to notice their reaction. They're earnestly praying. These are devout people, the early church. They are lifting up Peter to the throne of God. Well, verse 6 says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So picture this. In the prison cell, he's chained between two guards, and, and and he got guards posted at the door, sentries. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, I want you to notice something here that is important to recognize. For all intents and purposes, Peter's going to get killed the next day. Herod is just waiting for Passover to to be done, because he doesn't want to offend the Jews for killing somebody during the Passover feast. So it's Passover feast, Peter's in prison, Herod is just waiting to the next day, and Peter's going to be executed. He knows this. And he's sleeping. Check that out. Have you ever been anxious about something probably a little less than being executed the next day? (laughs) And you couldn't sleep at all? You tossed and turned all night long. You were throwing down ambient like it was sugar pills. And you still couldn't get to sleep over and over again just in turmoil. I want you to notice here, oh, I pray, oh, God, give me the peace of Simon Peter to be able to sleep when you got this going on, to be able to just be at peace no matter what craziness is happening in your world. I look at this and I am challenged by that. Lord, give me the peace of Simon Peter to sleep like a baby even when crisis and things and weird stuff is happening in your life. Well, the angel appeared, get up, chains fell off Peter's wrists, and then the angel said to him, "Put on your clothes and sandals." That's kind of awkward, which means he was unclothed between two men chained to them. Anyway, that's a whole that's a bad scene. I don't want even let's move on. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. You know, he, he thinks he's in, in, he's in la la lane. He's dreaming. And they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's cr- clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So, you know, at, at first he's like, I, I think I'm dreaming. And you know, he can't even, he doesn't even, he's not even sure if this is reality. And then he walks through, maneuvers, you know, the chains fall off, the gates open. And it says nothing here about the the guards. So the assumption is the guards slept through the whole thing. And and Peter comes out of the prison, comes out of the city, and as soon as the angel disappears, then Peter realizes, oh, I'm not dreaming. This actually is a real thing. And it says in verse 12 that when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Now, this is, this is not John the apostle. This is John also called Mark. This is John Mark. Where many people had gathered and were praying. So now we're going to come to the group who had been earnestly praying for this very thing to happen. Okay. So he goes to the house of Mary. I, you know, this was probably, it is believed, a regular meeting place for the early church. That's why he knew to go there. And here that many people had gathered and were praying. Peter kept, Peter knocked at the other, at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda. Okay, those of you who are old like me can remember Rhoda, right? So I just see her in my head, like, you know, coming to the door. Mary, someone's at the door. So Rhoda came to answer the door, and when she recognized Peter's voice, because, you know, I'm sure she's like, who is it? And Peter's like, it's Pete, it's Peter, Simon Peter. She hears his voice, and she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So she leaves him standing outside. She's so excited, she doesn't even open the door. Okay, now notice the reaction of the people. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting, no, 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 it really is, it's Peter. I'm sure I recognize his voice. When she kept insisting, they said, it must be his angel. Now, they had more faith to believe that this was the guardian angel for Peter than they believed it was Peter himself. Because here they are praying. These are the earnestly praying people. These are the stretching like a muscle praying people. And yet when Rhoda says, you're never going to believe this, Peter is at the door. They're like, ah, you're crazy. <laughs> now, you know what that says to me, folks? This is what it says to me. God can answer our prayers even if we have little tiny faith. Because these people are earnestly praying, but apparently they weren't earnestly expecting Because if they had been earnestly expecting, when Rhoda came to them, they'd have been like, well, see, this is what we've been praying for. Of course he's at the door. Let the boy in. (laughs) But no, they're like, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. Sit down. You've had a hard day. You must have gotten too much sun today. Relax a little bit. So listen to me. I know the whole Jewish accent tonight. I don't know where that's coming from, but listen to me. If you seriously are praying for something and you're at a place where you've just been earnestly praying and earnestly praying and earnestly praying, I love the fact that God is not obligated based on our level of faith, okay? God does great and wonderful things if we have great faith, little faith, or no faith because God is sovereign, and he wants us to approach the throne of grace and he wants us to pour our hearts out to him. But, but the answer is not dependent upon you. The answer is dependent upon God and his timing and his perfect will. Take heart. Too many people think that the outcome is completely on your back. It's not. God wants us to approach him, pray to him, pour out our request to him, beseech him with supplication and thanksgiving, and then we trust him for the answer. And God answered their prayer even when they really weren't expecting it. I love that. But Peter kept on knocking, so he's still on the outside of the door. Hey! Peter kept on knocking, verse 16, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet because you know they're like wow wow this is crazy and he's like hey quiet quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison tell James and the brothers about this. Now, this is not James, the one who was beheaded at the beginning of the chapter. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, though at first all of Jesus's brothers, half-brothers, did not believe he was Messiah, they came around. And James actually becomes a leader in the early church. And Peter says, go tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Put a little asterisk in your Bible right there. This is the last we hear of Peter. He goes to another place. We don't know what that other place is. There's a a very short reference to Peter in Acts chapter 15, and then Paul mentions a, a disagreement he had with Peter in Galatians. But besides that, there's no other mention of Peter. Now he's going to kind of go into retirement, so to speak, and he's going to write his epistles. First and Second Peter come after this, but his ministry and his life—this is it. This this is the end. Church Church history tells us um, that Peter was martyred for his faith in Rome, and he was crucified upside down. Church tradition also tells us that his wife was martyred right alongside of him. And um, so he will die for his faith as well, as they all will, all the apostles. But this is the last that we hear of his ministry, and this is the, besides Acts 15, this is the last reference to him. And then it says, let's just finish out this short section here, and then in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter, I bet, After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. This is another reason why we know the intention for Peter was to execute him, because in these days, if a Roman soldier was derelict in his duty by a prisoner escaping under that Roman soldier's watch, the punishment for that Roman soldier was to get the punishment intended for the prisoner. And so the fact that he had them executed tells us that his intention was to execute Peter. And when Peter escaped under their watch, it was from Peter goes and it tells in
1: and you'll find Your connection
2: towards your new life.
1: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from a series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church, and you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as He did Paul You may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a
2: wandering soul